The views and opinions expressed by various contributors to 98.5 CKWR and its radio programs are their own and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of 98.5 CKWR Wired World, Inc., its broadcasters, staff, or volunteers. Listeners are urged to use their own discernment and draw their own conclusions. Good morning, my name is Rob Daniels and welcome to Visions and Sound. Now for those that may be joining me for the very first time, Visions and Sound is a movie, TV, and video game soundtrack program that I produce each and every week right here on 98.5 CKWR. Here we are, show number 10 of 2022 and show 1115 if you're keeping track that way. This week we kick off March, yes March, with a celebration of the 25th anniversary of the fifth element. Now joining me this week is a longtime friend and co-host, Susan Gow. Susan, welcome to the show. Welcome to the show this week. Thank you. It's nice. I am really happy to be here. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. The last time you were on the show, for those that may not know, it was for Dead Again. That's right. And uh, we had a great time then, and I think we're going to have a great time this week. I agree. Okay. So, um, well, why don't we just get right into it? I first saw um, The Fifth Element back in the theater back in 1997. I'd been aware of the uh, the films of Luc Besson as far back as 1990's uh, La Femme Nikita. However, it was 1994's The Professional, also known as Leon, um, that truly brought him to my attention. Now, despite the fact that the film Leon was Natalie Portman's debut. It is well-structured and it's a touching story about, of all things, a hitman and the girl who helps and the girl he helps when her family is killed by a corrupt FBI agent, oddly enough, played by Gary Oldman, who shows up in this film as well. Uh, Besson has a very quirky style. Uh, he writes somewhat serious subject matter and populates his film with unusual characters. However, I don't think anyone was expecting Besson's follow-up to The Professional to be the extremely out-there sci-fi film, The Fifth Element. So, Susan, your first, uh, your first, um, your first experience 
we'll say, with the fifth element. Okay, well, give me a second before I get there, because I want to share with everyone that this movie makes me happy every time I watch it. Dead Again, that you and I did together, yes. was a film that scared the <laughs> out of me. <laughs> it took me as far as, as tension in films could, could for me. Right. However, this film makes me happy, and I've watched it 20 times at best guess, maybe even more. It's just, it's one of my go-to movies when I need a pick-me-up and a laugh. It comforts me that the world is saved after so many overwhelming obstacles. So it, it appeals to the romantic, the romanticist in me okay. who says, I want a happy, I want a happy ending, <laughs> especially if, as I said, I need that pick me up. So I laugh along with our hero at the foibles of humanity that Besson puts in the film and that, you know, um, our hero in this case played by Bruce Willis, that he encounters on his journey because he's on a journey as well. Right. And I admire that he pays attention to people, that he is accepting of them at the right places and determined to make changes at other places. But he always connects with the people. Is the film perfect? No. But it's right in the, I want to say the key elements, it's right in the right parts and consistently so i've only seen the fifth element at home uh a home view right uh never in the theaters whether it's vhs or dvd or even on stream that's how i've been viewing the film and thankfully i now have a sound bar that provides <laughs> a rich sound for me so it equates maybe some of the of uh the benefits of being in the theater now yeah. I want to say that speaking of sounds, this film clearly has a sound track okay. because sounds comprise so much of the film score. Yeah, I can. Think I about it. yeah, I can. I can totally agree with that. Just a, okay. re recalling the well, my last viewing, which was you know just this just this past Thursday. Actually. Sure. So you must have heard the sounds of the clink and the clunk with all the other machine sounds mm -hmm. or the crash of the percussions. And yet when those percussions do crash, they carry a counterpoint of natural sounds from the cat's meow or right. Right. Or the natural or what I would call natural, but maybe familiar honk of 21st century traffic which surprised me when I was initially thinking, hey, we're looking into the future. Yeah. It has wind sounds and whirs and hums that I associate with ship in, ships in space, right. even though I know sound is not supposed to exist in space. But my brain wants to hear it, and that's mm -hmm. what's familiar. There is music in this film from so many different cultures yep. that – you know, really provide a tapestry of life on Earth in 2300. That also comforts me. Yeah. Whether it's Middle Eastern music, reggae from the Caribbean, Hindi music, Hawaiian, <laughs> the European classical music. There's even the circus instrument of the um, um, calipea. Is that how um, you pronounce it? Calliope, I believe is what it's Calliope, called. yes, of course yes. that is. <laughs> I must be off in one of the other languages. <laughs> and then there's soothing orchestral music. 
that's paired with some uplifting heavenly kinds of moments and strident oboes accompanying human dialogue or computer voices, right? Yes. So the chorus of voices also mix with so many sounds of the varying t- with varying types and volumes. Right. Quiet and hushed, mm-hmm. or very overpowering and, and inspirational. We hear voices throughout the film that also provide a rhythm of their own, such as Corbin's impatient, yeah, 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 <laughs> against the rigging of the phone in the opening scenes for him. Right. And most obvious to me is the beat in Ruby Rod's speeches, his enthusiastic announcements and the screeches of his objections. And I really hope that we get some time later that we can talk about kind of his, uh, Chris Tucker's portrayal of Ruby Rod and, and how it reflects the history of beat poetry and, and hip hop and 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 I hope we get a chance to get into that. Well, the, 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 sorry, the 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 thing That's is, okay. I I find about the the film is that it it takes all of these things that you mentioned, throws them all together, and makes them work. You're no kidding. Eh? And it you know, there's not a moment where you go, this doesn't work. Or, this isn't working. No, there are there are so many different as you mentioned, so many different cultures going on here at the same time. With and, and the shift from, as you mentioned, Middle Eastern music to the more modern uh, classical music to the more to to filmic filmic music to all these different yeah 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 these different these different uh, genres, and again, it makes it work. And I mean, then and I, oh, go ahead. I was just gonna say I think it works, Rob, because of it. It gives context for the film. Yeah, and it provides the mood. It complements the mood. Yes. That Besson is trying it's trying to provide us, don't you think? Mm-hmm. Like this is no Beethoven's Pastoral Symphony Number no. Six. No, <laughs> right? by no means. <laughs> right? It's crashy and it's bangy and it's energetic, and that's probably part of the reasons of why it's my go-to film when I'm feeling down. I want to be brought up. I want to. Be, I want to be levitated. I want to have crashiness and busyness and all that because I want to feel engaged with it. Right. And so, go ahead. I was going to say because the funny thing is the topic is serious. It's, <laughs> no kidding. It's the it. It's possibly the end of the world here, and right. uh, and evil is returning after five thousand years. Yep. yep. And yet there is. We've got characters. Uh, we've got. Like humor, and we've got a, a light. I mean, there's the one moment, and I, I'm I, I can recall when um, um, uh, Cornelius, uh, um, v, uh, Vito Cornelius, is trying to get yes, the sir. the tickets from yeah. uh, from uh, from from uh, from Corbin, and he picks up this 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 trophy, and he crosses himself, and then he runs over and he bashes Corbin on the head <laughs> yep. and it's just this it's it it, it 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 runs the gamut from very serious to to a slapstick and it just, and again it makes it it makes it work within the context of the film I think it does anyway well and I think you and I would agree that it works in the context of the film for us we yes. can balance that whereas my understanding is that for some people it's too cluttered it's too much but for me, it's like, thank God, and there's so much in it. <laughs> and to add to that, 
the lighting and the shadows and the costume and the sets designs all complement those sounds, which mm -hmm. complement the, the script in richness and colors and contrast. And I just find that in a film production so very, very satisfying. So I'm curious to know how you would define what type of movie The Fifth Element is. You know, I was thinking about that the uh, when, because when I when I was writing my description of the film for yeah. for, for my e blast, I'm I'm thinking, <laughs> how do I describe this film? Because it's so <laughs> it's so. In on one end, it's an action, an action film, but on the other yep. end, it's it's a love story, and on the other, and in kind of in the middle there, it's this, it's this kind of uh, serious uh, serious drama that's take you know that the that the world is coming to an end and that sort of thing, and yet it's and yet it just seems to, again, it there there were there were moments for me. Uh, of, of of a feeling of like Looney Tunes cartoons, right. and but then again, extremely human moments, especially with yeah. with yeah. Uh, Lilu and and uh, Corbin. Yeah, yeah, you're right. So I don't know. Is it safe to say science fiction, mm -hmm. cult classic, maybe? Yeah, I'd say that. Um, apparently, it was identified back in ninety. Uh, seven that it was the best and the worst of a summer blockbuster. Right. So I would put it in a blockbuster kind of category, wouldn't you? I would. I mean, given, given the cast, given the budget. Oh my God, the budget, <laughs> <laughs> which was ridiculous for the late nineties. Well, we can... well, we'll get in, We'll get into that. Okay. Yeah, we can talk about that later if you want. But essentially, sure. it was a hundred million to start, and he was told to cut it back. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I think. Anyway, well, um, a lot of the the effects in the film were kind of cutting edge at that time. I mean, you got to think that there was there was some CGI used yeah, in used in be. the film, and uh, again, with most science fiction kind of space epics, you're going to have that higher budget because of the of the the visuals involved, and those visuals were amazing. There were some really amazing visuals the um when the planet uh just becomes this solid rock it just you can see it just shift and i mean i'm thinking how did cgi early cgi how did they do that yep, and right. then okay. and then something and then something as simple as uh as uh, uh lilu's resurrection essentially the uh, uh how they put the bones back together and then how they put the tissue back together. Yeah. The layers and, yeah. and the layers and that sort of thing. I mean, I've read certain things about it and, uh, we've mentioned, I'm, uh, we're, we're fans of the corridor crew, which is something I've mentioned on a several occasions. They've actually analyzed this film and oh, have they? Uh, yes, oh, they have. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so there, there are some really, uh, interesting things that they've talked about, but, uh, you can watch the, the corridor crew on, on YouTube after the show tonight today yeah right not now okay. <laughs> not, not right now we're 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 right in the middle of of this uh great discussion about the about the show or about the the movie the fifth element um let me ask you rob yes before you go much further do you think there are many people in the audience who have not seen the film you know what i would say um there are probably um 
okay, it's it's funny. Something I've noticed recently. Sure. Um, especially on especially online with with people who are younger than us, we'll say. Um, that there are, that there are songs and there are movies. I mean, there, there are, uh, YouTube is populated with, um, watching alien or watching a blade runner or watching, um, 2001 for the first time. And mm-hmm. these people are like in their twenties and 20 and, and like twenties and thirties. So if they haven't seen this film, uh, like these are classics. I remember, Talking to Bob and Bob Pearson, who's our who's our Trek expert on the show, he'll he, he'll pop up every once in a while when I do Star Trek stuff and, and that sort of thing. But I I used to I used to say, so have you seen have you seen Blade Runner? Have you seen Aliens? Have you seen this film? And he goes, No, no, no. So it's it's surprising to me how often you'll say, God, this film is a classic, and nobody's seen it. Or, or the people that, that are around you have seen it. Or there's one person that says, yeah, I've seen it. That's a fantastic film. Or <laughs> as, as Jason Drury, who's also our, uh, 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 pops up on the show uh, on occasion, he cannot stand the film. He has told me he's, I asked him, I asked him, you know, there are, there are certain shows that I, that, that he, that he will be on. I asked him if he wanted to be on this one. He said, no, I cannot stand the film. God, I wish he was here with us. Really <laughs> so I was curious about how, because I found it a tremendous challenge myself. How would you describe the central plot? Well, I mean, it's it's um, kind of an or an ordinary guy runs into an, an extraordinary extraordinary being, and essentially they they try to save the world with the help of. Uh, um, the, um, uh, Cornelius and, uh, and Ruby Rod, essentially. Okay. So do you think that that kind of pitch would work in front of the big execs? You know what? I, it, it makes me wonder how this film got greenlit in the first place. Well, cause Besson, I, I imagine Besson had to do a song and dance in front of the producers. And to, then he had to put it on hold for three years and bring the budget down by ten million. Exactly. Now, one of one of the things that might have sold it, and there is a, I believe, is a comic book artist named Mobius, who uh, who probably did illustrations for this, and that's probably what sold the, because uh, um, Mobius did a lot of work for uh, Alien, and okay. uh, and 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 that and like other, he's a comic book artist and and a, actually a rather well known artist. Along, yep. along the same lines as like H.R. Giger and, uh, and, and that sort of thing, where he's kind of ahead of his time when he, when he approaches Sid Mead, another one that uh, uh, a fu- futuristic or futurist, I think is maybe the best way of looking at it. Nice they're, able, yep. they're able to, to kind of see things beyond uh, what you would generally, uh, generally think of. They're able to visualize things, I think is maybe the best way, best way to put it. And so uh, I'm sure that those, that those illustrations helped a lot, or, or I'm sure that it oh, helped it a lot to, to, bring, to bring the vision. And once, once the producers see the vision, usually, usually, uh, the money follows. I mean, uh, it, it, it's funny how Hollywood works sometimes. Fair enough. Only this wasn't really Hollywood. I was just going to say, it is a, it is a <laughs> fr- partially French Yep. Um, Ga- yeah. Gaumont Studios, I believe, is the uh, uh, is the other 
Yeah, um, could be right there. I didn't I didn't go that far because I got caught up in that central plot. And, oh, yes? that, and it took me a number of, of rewrites before I could zero in properly. See what you think of what I've written here. Okay. It involves the survival of planet Earth from an evil cosmic force. That's your one sentence summary. Okay. That works. Right? Okay. Then I wrote survival becomes the responsibility of Lilu, a benevolent being who represents the hope for success, and Corbin Dallas, a now taxi driver and formal, former Special Forces major. To save the humans and defend Earth and the universe, Lilu and Dallas join forces to recover four mystical stones that represent the elements, with Lilu being the fifth. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Okay, I, I I bow to your bow to your superior su your superior description of the uh, of the movie. Okay, because that well, was I. You know, when trying to describe it to naysayers like Jason, or if you're trying to to convince other people that hey, this is a film worthy of your time and of investment, because right. um, it's what two hours five minutes. Yeah. Um, that action, that blockbuster kind of summary might appeal to them. But you're so right um, about the trouble it took to get this thing off the <laughs> ground. Um, you're right about the comic artist, Mobius, um, and also Jean-Claude Maisonnier. Not so familiar with him, but... Okay, with the two of them, mm -hmm. um, who provided the inspiration for parts of the film. They were hired for production design as well. The yeah. costume design was by Jean-Paul Gaultier. Okay, and I can see that. Even, he even had an outfit that was $5,000 in 1990. If we're thinking of that's when they developed it. Right. So he originally, he, Besson, originally had, as I mentioned to you, the budget of $100 million. Mm -hmm. He had to bring it down by $10 million, which took place battling over a period of three years. And where these these folks we just mentioned pulled together some storyboards and pulled together stuff, visuals for them to see. Turned out it was an incredible financial success earning more than $263 million at the box office. Mm -hmm. So that's three times production cost. There you go. Right? And at the time of its release in 97, it was the most expensive European film ever made. And it re remained the highest grosses, grossing French film at the international box office until the release of The Untouchables in 2011. Wow. Okay. Isn't that incredible? That's that's. Yeah, I mean, uh, and you, you, I seem to recall that this was back in '97. I mean, of course, you've got the 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 looming specter of Titanic that same year. Uh, okay, that was that was a I'm trying to think huge budget. I don't know what that was. Do you know three hundred million dollars according okay. to according to some on on Titanic? Okay, so. Um, you've got this, this, I mean, and, and I'm trying to think, did Titanic not come out until late, late in 97? I'm trying to remember, but, um, the thing is, is that big budget films 
were not quite the norm yet. So having okay, so here's an interesting comparison for you. Okay. Galaxy Quest, which is to me just as loony and just as fun, mm-hmm. right? With many of the elements of the fifth element, came out in 1999. It had a budget in comparison of 44, 45 million U.S. Okay. dollars, right? Versus versus fifth, the fifth, el- fifth element, element, yeah. It's ninety million, so double, <laughs> double the budget. Yeah, you think it's worth it? Hmm. Well, you know what? I will say this. Yeah. That ninety million dollars is all on screen. You can you Agreed. can see it. You can Agreed. see it. Like from the opening in Egypt, um, which was uh, I thought was a, a a great use of practical effects, wasn't it? Yeah. And uh, and some fantastic uh, fantastic visuals. Yeah. Um, to yeah. the to the to the ending. Um, which I won't spoil, but I mean, <laughs> oh, come it's, on. it's been, it's been 25 years. If you haven't <laughs> seen the film by now, um, but then again, I go back to the, to the, uh, the people that, that I, I thought have seen these, have seen these, uh, uh, what I would call tentpole, um, films that tentpole, tentpole films, you know, alien star oh, Wars, okay. um, okay. 2001, uh, those kind of science fiction films that you kind of sit there and go, yeah, these are the kind of films that you, you see. And then there are others that are in that same kind of, kind of genre, but don't, but aren't, aren't quite, are, are not quite as important. And I'm looking at, at the fifth element as being kind of that um, underrated tentpole film that you, you kind of need to see now and seeing it now is 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 interesting as to how um Besson was looking and the at, at, ahead as to how much he how much he was looking ahead and some of the stuff that shows up in the film itself is a bit more trendy now i would even say even even going right down to almost like the clothing and that sort of thing. So oh, he... and so much more. If you want to get into that, boy, I, I... <laughs> <laughs> so much more, so much more. It, it was a film. Well, you heard you heard me say this when we when we were talking earlier. It's it's a film for me that brings the future to today's present. Okay, I can Remember? see that. Yep. You know because. Oh, <laughs> my head's exploding because <laughs> because of the costumes, because of the gender bending, because of the of the patterns of speech and the way of talking, yeah. because of the the use of irony, because of, you know, uh, t- I mean, just take a look at Corbin. There he was retired from special forces. Yeah. So you got to know he was a big deal. Yeah. And especially as his his former commander says, "I need you on this. You're the only one I can think of right. who can pull this off." And is the if I recall, the only one that was still alive from his unit. If I recall, <laughs> there's there's a line in the uh, in the film that says, "Yeah, you're with the be- you were the best one in your unit, and you're the only one that was that's still alive." Well, except for Finger, who is his taxi that's right. boss, right? Right. But but uh, what I want to point out was who that- we ne- who we never see, by the way. No, we only hear them. Yeah, and the mother. The mother and, and Finger right. are, are two two characters that we only ever hear. Right. Which I think is kind of funny. 
Well, it's fun. It just adds to the complexity of the film that, that no wonder it takes me 20 viewings to pick up on all the details. But what I wanted to point out about the Corbin character is that he he's all these different things, but one of them, he's a community protector. Remember I, I said a few minutes earlier that he always engages with whoever talks to him. Yes. You never see him ignore anyone. So even when the so-called mugger shows up in the f beginning part of the film at his door with a crazy hat, <laughs> yeah, exactly, he's there to take his gun from him and put it with a stash of others because he's protecting his community and exactly. getting the bad guns off the street. Exactly. But I also find it funny that he actually says, um, it's not loaded, but you need to press the little <laughs> yellow button there to get it to load. Right. right. And, and so, yeah, you're right about the being the kind of the community minded guy in there. And yes, yeah. community protector as well. And I mean, con con considering that the community is uh, probably a, a high rise. Oh, like yeah. A huge, yeah. huge high yep. rise. Yep. Uh, and and very and very um what's what's the word I'm looking for? Almost a uh, I don't know if you're familiar with the 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 Judge Dread um kind of uh mega cities where they're all just this huge these huge yeah. uh essentially apartment buildings but they they're as kind of a city within them. So yeah, it it kind of reminds me of that kind of thing. So there's a lot of elements at play here, so to speak. And, um, yes. So, and so that brings us, I think nicely to the, to the many themes that are built into Agreed. the film as they're revealed, you know, by the characters. Um, are we at a point yet where we have to, you know, do a break and go to, <laughs> go to music? Well, basically what? what I was going to say is that actually Bassam brings his mainstay composer to this Eric Sarah. Now, uh, Eric Sarah, two years prior to this. Right. had worked on the James Bond film Goldeneye. Uh, his score was not well received as it did not kind of fall within the classic Bond formula. Now, despite this, I enjoyed his score to Goldeneye. I'm probably one of the very few people that actually enjoys this, his score to, to Goldeneye, but that's a completely different show entirely. Okay. Now, now Sarah did return to work on, of course, on the fifth element. Now, I think Sarah's work, and we've mentioned this earlier, works so well with the quirky nature of this film. And uh, so, yeah, it, it, it. I think maybe we should just take it, take uh, uh, our 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 first little musical break on this one. Um, if you've never heard Eric Sarah before, he's a very unusual composer. He does have this um, uh, classic sensibility. Like you'll hear, you'll hear some of the, some of the, uh, the, the aspects of the score that have a very, um, standard science fiction movie score kind of look. And then there are, are, are sound, then there are others that just go off in completely different directions. And it's, it really works as to me in any case, uh, uh, as a kind of this unusual mishmash of, of cultures. And it works well within the film, even 25 years later. So why don't we take a moment uh, and listen to our first little part of, uh, of the score to The Fifth Element. This is music by Eric Serra, and we'll be back. Blah, blah. We'll be back <laughs> in, in a few minutes with uh, some, and we'll, we'll discuss more about the film. So back in a bit, here's some music from The Fifth Element. 
And with a little bit of music from the 1997 film, The Fifth Element, that's music by Eric Serra. As we are celebrating the 25th anniversary of the film here on Visions and Sound. Now, if you're interested in any of the film, television, or video game music that I do play here on the show, by all means, you can contact me at, of course, visionsinsound at gmail.com. You can try me online at facebook.com slash visionsinsound. I am on the Twitter at visionsound. You can also try me on my website, visionsinsound.ca. I'm also on Good Pods which is a downloadable app. You can uh, just type in Visions and Sound and listen to me that way. It'll go on most uh, phones and most uh, uh, devices that will, like laptops or, uh, no, wait a minute, sorry, uh, tablets, not laptops, tablets, and that sort of thing, and also Apple Music as well. So, Or any podcatcher, as I love that term that, uh, that Eric uses. Eric Woods often sh- pops up on the show as well. Uh, talking a lot about other people that have talked, uh, have uh, popped up on the show. But tonight, we have our guest here, Susan Gao, all the way from the far off Waterloo, Waterloo, <laughs> so far away. <laughs> exactly. And hello to all your listeners. It's yeah, it's great. And uh, if you're not familiar with Susan, she was uh, on the the last show that she was on was uh, was our, our retrospective of Dead Again which I think was a, a, a great, uh, great look at the, at the, at the film. So now I will say this, and we're, we're going to get into a, a few of the, uh, the aspects of, of the, the film. And one of the, one of the things we kind of discussed off air was the visuals in this and how stunning um, the, the visuals look for, well, I mean, considering that the, and, and you had said that uh, a film that came out two years later, which was a galaxy quest was a $45 million film had fantastic special effects, looked great, science fiction film, but you look back upon the uh, um, the uh, the Fifth Element, double the double the budget, triple. And triple the budget. No, sorry, sorry, you're right, double, double, double 40, the budget, 40, forty-five twice, yeah, 90. double double the budget, and uh, and uh, had an amazing look to it. Now you also have to think that that was nineteen ninety-seven dollars. I imagine that the, the 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 it wouldn't have it wouldn't have changed too much in the two years. No, between, no. but I mean, still, there's that little bit of maybe possible inflation. Nope. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> you have to think of your economic history. Okay, <laughs> market was fairly stable. It was in process of rolling, but anyway, never yeah, mind. Not, not, mind. not quite just yet. Not in a, in any case, no. The the uh, like I said, the 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 visuals in here, early CGI, and like I said, we 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 kind of touched upon. Um, on the, uh, on the, the, uh, on the, like I said, the juggernaut that came out that same year, Titanic. Um, but there were other, other films from, from 97 that we could, we could discuss, but you know, uh, a fifth element is, is, is good enough for tonight's discussion. Now the film does have a stellar cast and we have to mention this. This is uh, a Bruce Willis, Mila Jovovich, Ian Holm, uh, Brian James, uh, Gary Oldman, John Neville, and Chris Tucker. And this film, and Luke Perry. Oh, and Luke Perry. Yes, we have Luke to. Perry we can't forget. Yeah, very well. He was he was in the beginning of the film. Very uh, and had a fairly yeah, I would say a fairly substantial role. I mean, he was kind of I guess maybe trying to get away from the nine zero two one zero, a stigma that had kind of stuck with him. So yeah, prove, to prove himself an actor. And, and John Neville was a good character oh, actor. Oh, I I agree. Yes, I mean he's he's shown up in several 
several films over the years, um, most notably being he would show up in the epi- in episodes of The X-Files, as well mm-hmm. as, I believe, yeah, he was in the uh, the first X-Files film as well. Okay. So, yeah, um, he's, he's, he's quite notable in the film. And in fact, um, delivers one of the, uh, one of probably one of my favorite lines of the film is that, uh, have you destroyed it yet? I'm working on it. And he, sh- and you see the, 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 it goes from the, the one missile he fires to like the eight missiles that they fire right. at, at the, uh, at the, at this, at this evil planet. That's, uh, that's, that's making its way towards earth and that sort of thing. So yeah, fantastic. Now, one of the visuals in this, and and now I think we'll, this would be a good time to discuss this, just before the just before the quick top of the hour break, is uh, is the um, the the kind of the oil substance. Is it an is it oil? Is it blood? We're not quite. I I can't quite say, but it first comes down John Neville's face when he, when you first see it, and then you see it again with Zorg in his office when he's talking with, uh, uh, what's the, what's the name? Mr. No. Um, Mr. Darkness, something like that. It's something like that. Yeah. yeah. Sorry. I, I didn't make note of the name of the Supreme evil person. Well, right? the thing, the thing was, is that, uh, I mean, he actually makes a phone call, which I think is hilarious. Yes. Cause they're, they're sitting out in the, in the middle of, in, in the middle of the, uh, middle of space. All of a sudden radio waves start emanating off the planet and one of the guys says, well, maybe he's trying to make a phone call. Okay. And sure enough, he is making a phone call. So there you go. And again, again, and going back to Gary Oldman, I mean, uh, we, uh, we, we talked about a little bit about his performance of, he, he has this Bross Perot voice, but he's also this very, um, this, this, this very understated evil character. Um, the, uh, the, he's like the slick politician, right? Yeah, there you go. I mean, uh, the, but the one scene I find very interesting, and I don't, I don't know, um, is the uh, the scene with the cherry, where he he has the glass of water, he puts the cherry in the after he has just made this huge demonstration as to why bringing evil into the world will be a good thing. He pushes the glass off the table, it falls down, all the robots come out. They do their cleanup, and he says, "Oh, all the all the activity, and now all the little all the manufacturers of these of these robots can have little children of their own, and uh, and they can sleep well at night, knowing that that they will be, you know, that they they're gonna they're gonna make money and they're gonna do stuff like that, all because of a little bit of chaos. I think I think it was the the word he used, a little bit of chaos in the world, and um, bringing e- oh, bringing that evil planet." Is it would be a lot of chaos in the world. It's a little bit more, a little bit more than just a pushing a glass off the table. But in However, any, I, I think the point at the, at at that particular scene is more the commentary, the social commentary on the excessives, the excesses of capitalism, that it's and materialism and manufacturing stuff for the sake of manufacturing stuff. And, manuf- and and buying the stuff for the sake of being able to buy the stuff, because what is Vito Cornelius's point when the cherry pit gets stuck in his throat? Yeah, it's it's um, um, even all all of your all of your huge plans, all of these things have been stopped by a cherry. 
single chair. In essence, and he's saying, "Where, where is your machine that can 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 slap can you on the back? You, we can give you the Heimlich without identifying the Heimlich maneuver, but give you the Heimlich when when you need it and when you're in physically in peril." Well, it's interesting. Were 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 robotic uh, vacuum cleaners or those robotic cleaners were they a, even a thing in '97? No, boy, we'd have to Google that, wouldn't we? Yeah, we would, because so I, I don't, I don't even think that they were a, I don't think that, I don't even think that the, 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 the Roomba was even a thing back then. I don't think, I don't well, think even it, it came in until like the early 2000s. Okay, so I'm going to point out to you gently and lovingly okay. that your cultural reference point is North America. True, true. Bessin is much more European and therefore, I think, more worldly. So it could have been going on in Japan for all we know. You're right, and uh, I I hadn't I hadn't even considered that. I mean, you have to consider the bidet, and uh, sure. and all of that. I mean, that's that's a completely European um, kind of a, a west uh, an eastern from us, sure uh, um, kind of uh, kind of thing. So, okay, tell me again. I'm sorry for my ignorance, but tell me again what those those automatic vacuum cleaners are um they're called roombas um but you can just probably call them robotic vacuum cleaners and i'm sure the it'll come up on the uh on the we're gonna get the cuban rumba <laughs> <laughs> so that's if i put in <laughs> well why, why don't we do this susan we are at the top of the hour why don't we take yeah. a little break you you'll we'll, we'll, we'll find out about the roomba because i've got a short little segment here i'll take our break and then we'll and then i'll play the the ruby rap and then we'll we'll have a quick discussion about uh, about the Roomba, and just, and and Chris Tucker's performance here. Okay, just to let you know, the Roomba was founded in 1990 19, in the U.S. Wow. Okay, so maybe in I'm, the U.S. Yeah. Okay, maybe I'm off on that one. <laughs> just, <laughs> just just not informed. You can't be aware of everything, Rob. Just a little bit off. In any case, okay. we'll take our break and uh, we'll be back in just a little bit. We'll have a little bit of uh, well, you'll hear Chris Tucker's performance as Ruby Rod shortly after this break. So back in a bit. Putting community first since 1973. 98.5 CKWR in Waterloo Region. Here he is, the one and only winner of the Gemini Crockett Contest. This boy is fueled like fire. So stop melting, ladies, because the boy is hotter than hot. He's hot. Right side, right heel, right head, right arm. Right on, right on. And he's got something to say to those 50 billion pair of ears out there. Pop it, D-Man. Um, hi. Unbelievable! Wither, ladies, wither. He's gonna set the world on fire. Right here from Bob to Jimmy, you know everything there is to know about the D-Man. What I'm looking at, intimate is this stud muffin's middle name. So tell me, my man, you nervous in the service? Uh-huh. Not really. Freeze those knees, my cheese. Cause Herb's in the place and he's on the cake. Yesterday's frog will be tomorrow's friend of Frostan Paradise. A hotel of a thousand and one follies, lollies, and lick lollies. A magic fountain flow of non-stop wine, women, and Oh, 
I'm licking this damn stuff, girl. It's because it's guys. We have you right now. I'm talking about my mama. Oh. Right here from 5 to 7. I'll be your voice, you know? And I'll be hot on each other. The sexiest man right here. D-man. Yo, man.
with a little bit more music from the, the 1997 film The Fifth Element. We are celebrating the 25th anniversary of said film. So, welcome back uh, to Visions and Sound. Like I said, uh, um, looking at the, the Fifth Element and joining me on the show this week is um, my very illustrious guest, uh, <laughs> Susan Gao, who has his, who has brought a an energy to this to this show this week that I think is is um, is infectious. I think in 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 this case. Um, so yeah, it, it, we 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 uh, speaking of infectious, we have to talk about uh, we have to talk about Ruby Rod, sure, and just how um, his introduction to the to the I mean up to that point he had to, it, it was just a, it was just a name that was thrown out there, but then to actually see him with his with the with the his his first words Corbin Dallas, I can't do it justice because but it's just this. And and then it's of course it's like two and a half minutes of of almost pure insanity uh, that that follows, and just a, just a wonderful portray, portrayal by Chris Tucker, um, who was kind of unknown at that time. We had sure. uh, twenty five. Yeah, I mean he was um, he was only in like a, a few few scattered uh, maybe a television series here and there and maybe a couple of films. But not really known. I think this put him on the map because kind of from there he went to to work with uh, Jackie Chan on the the um, Rush Hour films, and there were a few others that that kind of followed from there. But uh, I mean, you, you can definitely hear Ruby Rod in the in in the the, the th- first words that uh, he says to Jackie Chan. Do you understand the words that are coming out of my mouth? Kind of kind of thing. I, like I said, I'm sorry, I can't do it justice. But yeah, there is that there is that that definite uh, definite thing there. So yeah, um, do you have anything more to say about uh, Ruby Rod there, Susan? Oh, I, c- I could talk for hours about <laughs> Ruby Rod. <laughs> well, and frankly, my thought is that Besson and Sarah, Eric, Sarah, mm-hmm. must have taken a look in a crystal ball um, because I look at the Ruby Rod character now as someone who exists in 2022 that you would see on TikTok or that you would see as a, uh, in a podcast as an influencer. Yeah. Um, well, this is, th- I mean, 97 is definitely pre, pre-YouTube. Well, so, it, it's, it's astonishing to me because not only, not only does his pattern of speech, I, re- I think, reflect the whole history of beat poetry and slam poetry and hip hop and mm-hmm. spoken poetry, and and I took a wonderful trip into that that um, history of of the type of music and had a better appreciation by the time I finished it because I could match it with Ruby Rod. There's the cadence, there's the rhythm, there's the energy, the um, the sell, 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 <laughs> the on, on, on. That frankly, you know, tires my tires my head. But um, thankfully, in the context of this film, it's brilliant because it, it, to me, the Ruby Rod character, everything spins around him. He, yep. He's the anchor. The, the story might be Corbin and Lilu as they save the world, but it's but it's Ruby Rod that that. Would holds he, it all together. Would you call him? Would you? Would you call him the uh, the audience proxy? 
in this case? Would he use yeah, kind of the audience? The uh, what would he be kind of the 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 audience? You know, the ones the, the ones that are screaming at all of the uh, the explosions and the bullets. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, sure. In that case, yeah, he typifies it. But also when you look at his costumes, the costumes in this film are remarkable. Yes. Absolutely remarkable being you could pick almost any of them and wear them in 2022 <laughs> and be considered in style and in fashion. And and so all the different stuff, which, which I don't know if we shared this on air or when we were off air, Rob, but Initially, when I watched the film, it made me very uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs> I came from such a traditional background that seeing this flamboyance was like, wait, wait, I can't handle this. I can't. Well, it, it's it's funny when I like I was I was twenty seven when the film came out. Okay. And uh, my sensibilities were different back then. And uh, yeah, you're right about being uncomfortable. The the, the character was just as you said felt very almost too much almost too much for for that uh, for those sensibilities i remember if i if i recall correctly when watching watching the film back in 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 97 in the theater there were huge amounts of laughter at sure, at, at him at him yeah. not because of what he was what he was talking about but at him as yep. as to what he looked at what he looked like or how yep. he was acting and that sort of thing Agreed. And but do you feel the same way now when you look at him and with the eyes of, of a, in 2022? Well, the thing is, is that being in radio, being in, in television, it's sell, sell, sell that kind that, that kind of thing. And when you see that, uh, personified on, on screen, it's kind of like just a walking, um, a walking sales machine, I guess, in a lot of cases. I mean, he was basically trying to get, uh, his main concern, uh, he even goes to Corbin after he's just like, try and find a bit more than a two word vocabulary. I got a show. It's got a pop, pop, pop. He says, right, right. But look at the relationship that develops between the two of them, mm -hmm. you know, and, and he, he being, um, Ruby Rod, she just shows his vulnerability. Yeah, he's just like you know, split open, and he's all there. Yeah, and and again, I don't know if we were talking on air or if it was off air, but Billy Bishop is 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 a walking replica. Uh, Bill, of Billy Rod. Billy Porter. Uh, sorry, Billy Porter. Yeah, I, see, I keep getting the, our Canadian air 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 ace <laughs> mixed up, but yeah, Billy Porter. Yeah, Billy Billy Porter. Um, for those that that may not know, is kind of a. Um, he's an actor. He's a singer. Yeah, actor, singer, um, designer. It looks like he's got a lot of really unusual uh, looking. As you said, a lot of his stuff would look would would be perfect on Ruby Rod, as you mentioned. Well, he's a fashionista. A fashionista. He, he okay. Yeah, and he and he loves over the top kinds of um, fashion statements at all the big events, whether it's the MoMA or whether it's um, at the Oscars or whatever. He just yeah, you, you know, it, it's funny. Um, it was a punchline years ago, but I could see Ruby Rod wearing a swan a swan dress like Bjork did in the uh, sure in the in the Oscars that one year. I could see that. 
and, sure. and just just the what he was wearing in in the uh, in the opera scene with the, yep. the roses around his neck and just this black yep. onesie almost. Yep. It was yep. it was kind of kind of funny. Uh just just to see that. Um the whole film costume had a lot to do with supporting the themes, supporting the mood, supporting the context um for all the action. And whether it was um uh, baby, what was a baby Ray in the opera scene with a lace top and his his white curly hair? Oh yeah, the uh, the guy who he was stone deaf, right? Or you know the the different people who who were in the opera scene were all the the wannabes who who want their fifteen minutes of fame is what we used to call it a few years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, but the costumes, even if you look at the the military folk, they had a certain style. The scientists with all their tubes <laughs> coming out of them <laughs> that in many ways to me looked like they were insects, but it was it was an example, I guess, of, of what can happen in outer space. Yeah. Uh, the coordination between the president and his assistant, they wore the same colors, they were blocked, but they were blocked in a different style, mm-hmm. so they were complementary. It's just like no matter where you turn... In this film, they, the costumes are just, they're incredible to me. Think of Lilu's and her white banding. Yeah. That right? was that was very um, revealing, but not. Right. So it was manif- I think, at first to be kind of, oh, titillating or, you know, kind of erotic. But then it became a very practical practical outfit. Mm-hmm. But if you look, but then what be what next happened was that Corbin was wearing a similar kind of banding at the back of his orange shirt. True. Right. Right. That was see through. Therefore, and they color coordinated when she was wearing the orange. Yeah, she's wearing the that suspender suspender thing. <laughs> Never quite been able, never quite able to figure out what that was. Yeah, yeah I think that's what the, the suspenders. I mean, it was just cohesive, and it was uh, to me the costumes and the set designs all followed in together. Right. So Ruby Rod was for me the anchor of all that stylishness and all that noise and all that conversation going at high speed um and certainly in contrast to corbin who who was a one-word man Mm -hmm. but a powerful one-word man precisely now this actually leads me to kind of something else one of one of another visual in the film and uh, at least for me this is one of the most memorable parts of the film and i'm speaking of the diva portion of the film um uh, my friend Scott, who was actually a co-host on the, the, the show, I think around, no, actually knows this was two years before I actually started Visions and Sounds, so no. But this this soundtrack was played on the show, and he was, we were talking about it, and he actually has a theory as to how the the um, the diva portion was done, and we'll, we'll get into that. But uh, um, the composer, uh, Eric Serra, showed uh, soprano, and hopefully I'm getting this right. Inva Mula uh, is the uh, the uh, soprano who sang and who dubs the diva in the uh, in the film itself. 
Um, right. she, he showed her the sheet music for the diva dance and she reportedly smiled and relayed to him that some of the notes that were written were not humanly possible to achieve because the human voice cannot change notes that fast. Hence, she performed the notes in isolation one by one, as opposed to consecutively singing them all together. And they were digitized, the notes to fit the music. And there were moments when you can hear those differences. Uh, Scott and I both were saying, well, did she, did she do that live or did she do that? Like, was it, was it electronically done? Knowing what I know now and, and hearing with, with a more trained ear, you can, you can definitely hear that there were electronic enhancements in that particular. Yes. I only understood that there was two tracks that were done for the part one and the part two. Um, well, why don't we, uh, why, why don't we take a moment and this is, uh, um, Diva Pava Laguna, which I think is a, a very interesting name sings, and hopefully I'm pronouncing this correctly cause I'm not Italian. El Dolce Suono, uh, Suono, oh no. Suono. Suono. There we go. An aria from the opera Lucia di Lamemur. Uh, me the goosebumps every time I hear it. <laughs> <laughs> it is one of the most difficult arias because of its length and soaring archipelagos and the high F above high C. So now here is uh, Lucia di Lamemur, originally composed by Gaetano Donzetti with words by Salvador Camarino, uh, performed here by the aforementioned Invamula. Uh, now, according to Will, according to Willis, the wonder on his face when he sees the diva sing is real. Uh, cause at the time it was the first time he had seen and heard the actress in full makeup. So here is, um, oh, yeah, but let's not forget that Bruce Willis is a musician himself. That's true. That's true. All right. So here we go with, uh, first of all, Lucia de Lamamor and then the diva dance. So we'll be right back right after this.
Incredible um, for me uh, again, and oh, I'm just gonna bring that down uh, while I stop here. I'd forgotten how short that was. In any case, welcome back to, to Visions and Sound. Uh, yeah, that particular piece when I first saw that back in in 1997 in the theater, it absolutely blew my mind as to just how um, how it was done. That that low run that where it goes from the low note to the absolute high note is like how is that possible now that was done electronically but it was also done and you you can hear that it was as we mentioned that those were recorded into um what would probably have been a keyboard at that time and um played that way but to hear that and to and to see to, that that low to high to me that was amazing now that being said, um, I'm, 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 I'm from here. Now, despite what Inav, um, Inva Mula stating that some of the notes were, that were written were not humanly possible to achieve because the human voice cannot change notes that fast, that's not to say that it hasn't been attempted. So here is, here is an example uh, done by, and I tried to find the orchestra but could not find the orchestra, this one here is performed by, and hopefully I'm pronouncing this correctly, Tolkien Zabirova. This is actually uh, from a live performance 
have a listen here. Um, it's not it's not exact, but it's the it's the closest one, and you can see it if you put in Diva Dance into the search engine on YouTube. You'll find a whole bunch of these that pop up. In any case, here it is. This is have a listen to this. This is this is really cool.
I'm always amazed at the power of the human voice. Um, mm. Fantastic. Um, not quite the same, but I mean, it is very hard. But she pretty much nails that that uh, that low part. Not maybe not quite as low, but still, still nails that that particular part. I think uh, I, I I think, uh, and that was one of the best ones on in YouTube that I at least in in my opinion. Um, for that. So, like I said, just fantastic stuff. Wow. You know, Susan, this, this part of this particular night has just flown right by (laughs) and, uh, we've still got like a bunch of music to, to play. So why don't we just get to the, uh, uh, to the music and then we'll, we'll, uh, wrap up the rest of the show and, uh, and, um, and yeah, we'll just go from there. So, uh, we'll be back in just a little bit. Here's some more music from the fifth element.
You know, it's funny. I always say this. Oh, I'm just going to let it. I always say this when uh, when we do these these shows, Susan, that I've only got like like 60 minutes of music. How are we going to fill the other hour? <laughs> and we always find a way. Always find a way. Bet. So, um, yeah. Um, well, I mean, like I said, that's all for us this week. Um, but let's talk quickly uh, about the film's legacy and how it holds up in 2022. Well, you can tell, Rob, from my enthusiasm about the film, <laughs> it's a contemporary event in 2022 that I just find refreshing to watch. It's uplifting. It keeps me motivated to keep going when I feel like there's, you know, so much despair going on, especially as, you know, in the context of today, what's happening in Europe now. Um, and it's a film that gives, that keeps my heart beating with a sense of pleasure and a sense of joy. So I think it holds up really well. No, I would agree. I mean, the, the, the film itself, I mean, just even from an, from an action and story standpoint, uh, uh, as you said, as we, and as you said off air, it, it was like they were looking into a crystal ball. Yep, but and, looked into uh, the future and saw and saw what may not have necessarily been, uh, you know, thirty uh, was it uh, uh, twenty three hundred or whatever, but uh, it was very very uh, close to kind of today, and just and just, so you know what you know how we could conclude that the future of the film has become the present we have today, and I would say that's that's a good way of ending it. So okay. on, on that note, as we continue well into 2022, always you're getting on with your day that you realize just how awesome you are. Never let anyone tell you any different. If you're ever feeling not right, there are some people out there who care about you and are willing to chat. If not family, then some professional who can help. As Rocky said, nobody hits harder than life. I know from personal experience how hard it is for me to sit behind this mic week after week when I feel like no one's listening. I would never have made it this far without the huge support of uh, a team of people behind me. If you or someone you know is in crisis and needs help, resources are available. In case of emergency, please call 911 for immediate help. The Canadian Association for Suicide Prevention, Depression Hurts, and Kids Help phone at 1-800-668-6868 all offer ways of getting help if you or someone you know may be suffering from mental health issues. Well, Join me next week as I continue into March with a tribute to Douglas Trumbull. If you're not familiar with who he is, just join me next week. You'll find out. I'll end off with some more music from The Fifth Element. Susan, I want to thank you once again for coming on the show. It's always a pleasure having you here. Thanks, Rob. I enjoy it, too, and so thank you for the invitation. All right, no problem. So I will be back next week with more Visions in Sound. <laughs>